0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi everybody, Peter King here, and welcome to the FMIA Minipod. As you know, this is my short podcast in which I recap this week's NFL action, in this case Wild Card Weekend, and we'll look forward a little bit to next weekend's uh, action in the Divisional Round. The four games this weekend were absolutely spectacular. Fun, interesting, really, really big and impactful and meaningful games, not only for now but for the future. I went to Foxborough. Uh, I cover the Patriots, probably the end of the greatness of the Patriots. I think there's going to be some major changes in New England. Everybody is wondering about that. And I'm just going to get to the lead to my column right now. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want to get to it right now so you will understand what I mean when I say I think there are going to be some changes. So anyway, let's get to it. Dateline, Foxborough. The interesting takeaway from spending 10 minutes with Tom Brady before he left Gillette Stadium near midnight Saturday? He didn't seem at all surprised by the 20-13 wildcard loss to Tennessee. He was sad but not distraught, knowing how stupid it would be for him after playing in nine Super Bowls in a magical 20-year run to be somehow unfulfilled after the Patriots played pretty much the same desultory football against Tennessee that they'd played for the past two months. And I kept thinking as he spoke, Tom Brady could see this coming. What Brady can't see with similar clarity? The future. Brady, clear-eyed, looking more like 32 than 42, sat in an office near the Patriots' locker room near midnight, less than an hour after the New England dynasty was shaken to its core and maybe shuddered. He wore a Navy button-down shirt, blue khakis, tan boots, a Navy ski cap, and the look of a man who absolutely does not know what 2020 and beyond holds for him as he faces true freedom for the first time in his career. He's scheduled to be a free agent without the franchise tag when the league year begins in March. I'm not crushingly disappointed, Brady said, looking me straight in the eyes. I think we fought hard. Our head is held high. We're competitors. Every season doesn't end in a Super Bowl win. It's exciting when it does. You relish those when you have those opportunities, and we've had them more than anyone else. I'm proud of the guys for fighting hard. But those other guys, meaning the Titans, are competitive too, and they deserve to win tonight. We just didn't make the plays the last half of the season that we needed to make. Didn't make the plays tonight. I said to him, first time in 20 years, you're truly a free man. How do you feel about that right now? Yeah, said Brady. I think I'm just... Well, I'll explore those opportunities whenever they are. If it's the Patriot's great. If it doesn't work, I don't know. I just don't know. I love playing football. I still want to play football. I think I can play at a championship level. I've just got to go do it. And I'm motivated to get back to work and training. Somewhere. And when he considers his future, my gut feeling is this about Tom Brady. He's going to prioritize needing a better offense around him in 2020 than he had in 2019. When his body language and clipped post-game press conferences, even after a big but offensively frustrating win in Buffalo, told the story of a frustrating season. When you read these stories about NFL ratings being up while so much other programming on TV, network TV, cable TV, sports TV, everything is down, you should think of this weekend. The four least important games out of 11 in the postseason. And everyone was pulsating. Everyone, whether you had interest in the teams or not, was nutso. Think of all that happened in 27 hours for the third straight year the Saints lost on a walk-off final play of a playoff game for the second straight year Saints fans were left holding their heads in anguish over an official's non-call that des- that determined their season Drew Brees and Tom Brady one and two all-time in touchdown passes lost at home to six seeds. Deshaun Watson, clutch and athletic and physical and never saying die, piloted the greatest comeback in the 17-year history of the Texans. Kirk Cousins, the man with so much guaranteed potential, fulfilled it with some great throws in his first playoff victory. Derrick Henry, conjuring memories of a more life J- Jerome Bettis pounded the tar out of the Patriots. DK Metcalf, rookie, ninth wide receiver pick last April, won an NFL playoff game for Seattle on the road with a 160 yard receiving game. Marshawn, Marshawned. And Jadavian Clowney did his best Willis Reed. Read Wikipedia on Reed, youngsters. And please, please, please read the Sam Weich section in my column. It'll be worth your time. We need to remember important figures in NFL history, like Weich. So I could have led the column with any of the four games this weekend and been justified. I choose the momentous Massachusetts event of Saturday night. I think history will say it's the right call. Dynasty, screamed the New York Post back page Sunday. That's D-I-E-N-A-S-T-Y. That's what the New York Post back page screamed about the Patriots. And it may not have been a tabloid headline. Now more about the Patriots. January 5, 1920. New England reeled as the Red Sox announced the sale of Babe Ruth, the best player in baseball history, to the New York Yankees. January 5, 2020. New England reeled as the Patriots pondered the possibility that Tom Brady, perhaps the best player in football history, has played his last game with the franchise. And by the way, thanks to Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe for the For the great Babe Ruth comp. Before the game Saturday, the crowd at Gillette Stadium was nervous. You could feel it. The owner was nervous. You could feel that too. In his office four hours before the game, owner Robert Kraft broke his silence on Brady's future. Before the season started, Kraft told me, it was very important to Tom that he be free to do whatever he wanted to do at the end of the year. You know what I said to myself? Any person who plays 20 years for this team and helps us get to six Super Bowls and has been really selfless has earned that right. I love the young man like he's part of my family, blood family. Anyone who's done that has earned the right to control his future after 20 years. And you know, my hope and prayer is number one, he plays for the Patriots. Or number two, he retires. He has the freedom to decide what he wants to do and what's in his own best personal interest. So obviously, approving Brady's wish was difficult for Kraft. He's a football fan. He's been going to Patriots games for a half century. He knows Joe Montana finished a chief. Joe nameth a Ram and... See this picture here, Kraft said, walking me over to a photo on his wall of Johnny Unitas in a Patriots cap, posing with Kraft before one of his first games as New England owner. I got Johnny Unitas to wear a Patriot hat, Kraft mused. At 40 in 1973, Unitas had a bad curtain call to end his career with the San Diego Chargers. Five games, 45% passing. Three touchdowns, seven picks, a 40.0 rating. Ouch. Said Kraft, I'm thinking of all that, of all the quarterbacks who win elsewhere, and I just hope and believe that Tom, he's so special that he's earned the right to do what's best for him, but I hope and pray we fit into his plans. He's unique in the kind of leader he is, his work ethic, his selfless nature, everything. Think about it. He's been with us 20% of the life of the NFL. I asked Kraft if this had been a melancholy week for him, knowing this could be Brady's last game as a Patriot in Foxborough. He thought for four or five seconds. I don't know if I'd say melancholy, he said. I think I just realized that I shouldn't take for granted how lucky we've been. I saw a stat that the Buffalo Bills haven't won a playoff game since 95, not one, and that brought it home. We've won 30. So how lucky we've been, but we also know you can't rest on your laurels. Things change and you've got to have an edge and look to how you keep things going the best you can. An hour before the game, on the field, the air was thick with anticipation. In one corner of the stadium, where it's been since 2004, a sign screaming Brady's Corner Number 12 was in its customary spot with the customary owner, Mike Burke of North Kingstown, Rhode Island. I don't see him playing for another team, Burke said. But when I left home today, I told my wife, this could be the very last game for Tom. A couple of minutes later, as is his pregame custom, Brady ran the length of the field to the south goal. Surely he saw the huge sign, Please stay, Tommy. Right behind the goal post as he pumped his fist crazily and screamed, Let's go! Let's effing go! This is how different the night felt. When Brady turned to run back, he spotted three young Titans, wideout A.J. Brown, tight end Johnu Smith, and running back Carrie Blassingame, clapping respectfully and pointing toward him. Brady pointed at them, nodding as if to say, that is truly appreciated. And when he did that, they in turn responded by pumping fists and jumping around. Now that's a five-second moment I'll always remember about that night. So cool, Smith said later. He smiled broadly. Just wanted to show our respect for one of the greatest ever. Much respect, much love to Tom. He's one of the great men in our game, and when he looked over at us, it was great. And then the game, and the air just poofed out of the balloon. The zits of the 2019 Patriots surfaced pretty consistently for two hours and 57 minutes. The Patriots whiffed on top free agent wideout target Adam Humphreys last March, losing him to Tennessee, and overdrafted receiver and Keel Harry late in the first round over AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Nicole Hardman, and Terry McLaurin. No New England wideout but Julian Edelman cost, caught more than thirty balls in two thousand nineteen. And that lack of production showed up on Saturday. The New England receivers got wafer-thin separation all night. Brady completed a shockingly low 7 of 21 passes to wideouts. Tight end was a problem all year after, on the same day in March, Rob Gronkowski retired and top free agent target Jared Cook agreed to terms with New Orleans. Then, in April, the Patriots dealt tight end Jacob Hollister to Seattle for seventh-round pick. Hollister late this season has become invaluable for Russell Wilson. What might he have been for Brady? Tight ends gained 2,026 yards for New England in 2017 and 18. Tight ends managed only 419 yards this year. And add this, New England is truly an ancient team. The Patriots started 11 of 22 players Saturday night who are 29 or older. Seven others in that age bracket played 20 snaps or more against Tennessee. The average age of the Patriots' five core special teamers is an unsustainable 30 years and five months. The Patriots' 13 points came from 33-year-old Edelman on a five-yard end-around TV, TD, 35 year old kicker Nick Folk, two field goals, an incumbent ki- while the incumbent kicker, Steven Goskowski, who is also 35, watched. And then 42 year old Brady was at the trigger for each of the three scoring drives. Even on their only touchdown of the night, there looked to be some on field disconnect. Brady told me, We were just screwed up in our alignment. Even with all that, the Patriots had a golden chance to take a 17-7 lead late in the first half. They had first and goal from the Tennessee one. They played a six-man line with a seventh blocker, 235-pound pseudo fullback, Elandon Roberts. Three times they ran to the left. Three times they got stoned. Minus one, one, minus two. The resulting field goal felt like a Tennessee gut punch. Still, it was 14-13 Tennessee when the Patriots had a decent last chance to pull out a game they didn't deserve to win. From his 11, Brady hit James White for 20 and Philip Dorsett for 6. Then, on 2nd and 4 from the New England 37, Brady threw to Edelman in the left flat. Easy first down conversion pass. As easy a catch as Edelman has had all season. He dropped it. Brady sagged. He lowballed an incompletion at Dorsett on third down, and this was perfect. On fourth and four from the Patriots' 37, with 3.17 and three timeouts left, with a sledgehammer running back, Derrick Henry, already with 160 pounding yards and capable of closing this game like a Mariano Rivera, Bill Belichick chose to punt. That's how much he didn't trust his offense, led by a six-time Super Super Bowl champion with the pop-gun weaponry Belichick had assembled. Henry had steamrolled the defense at more than six yards a carry to that point, and Belichick thought somehow in the last three minutes it would be different than the first 57. They weren't. The Patriots got the ball back with 15 seconds left at their one-yard line. Brady threw a tipped pick six to Logan Ryan, who said, by the way, that ball's going on my mantle. And that ended the game. It was an ugly end, but Brady wasn't particularly mournful about that either. The fact that his last throw as a Patriot could have been a pick six. Just a desperation play, he said, at the one. What did we have? 20 seconds left? 15, I said. That almost made them laugh, and no timeouts. We would have needed a Miami miracle kind of play. We tried a hook and lateral, and they actually guarded that and got their hand on the curls, so... Pause. Yeah, you know, just wasn't our day. Or my day. New England was 4-6 and six in its last 10 games. Not including the 34-13 win over the worst team in the league, Cincinnati. The Patriots scored 16.6 points a game after Halloween. That's one of the reasons why Belichick might think, hey, with all the holes we need to fill on our old roster, now's not the time to be emotional. Now's not the time to try to wring one or two more years at huge money out of a quarterback who turns 43 in August. And a fresh start for Brady won't be the best thing for Kraft, but it might be the best thing for the man who controls the roster, William Steven Belichick. And it might be the best, too, for Brady to see what life is like outside the Foxborough bubble. Maybe he'd like to finish his career with a more player-friendly coach, Anthony Lynn with the Chargers, or a quarterback-friendly head coach, Frank Reich in Indianapolis in one of two places with far better offensive weapons than New England. The Chargers might view Brady as the billboard to sell PSLs in new SoFi Stadium, opening next season. The Colts, assuming Andrew Luck stays retired, might view Brady as the on-field mentor for Jacoby Brissett for a year or two. Where else? John Elway seems to have his passer of the future in Drew Locke, so Denver's doubtful but always a home-run swinger. Tennessee is doubtful, too, after the emergence of Ryan Tannehill, but with Patriot-bred John Robinson as GM and Belichick protege Mike Vrabel as coach, never say never. Chicago should be interested, but two years of Brady would be the end of Mitchell Trubisky, which the brass there seems loath to do. Carolina's influx, and my personal dark horse by the way is the Las Vegas nay Oakland Raiders John Gruden's favorite quarterback is always the one he doesn't have no clue if he's remotely interested but my antennae would be up for the Raiders and Brady you could say any of those is silly now on January 6th but who will be running those teams in two months What pressures will they face? Will someone get seduced by the on-and-off-field charisma of Brady and think he's got got enough left in his tank to contend for a couple of years at an unprecedented age? And will the lure of one more shot with some golden 2020 team attract Brady? I can tell you this. He doesn't know. He can't know right now. And that didn't seem to bug him much on the night that the Patriots' dynasty dynasty might have died. The sun's coming up tomorrow, Brady said. Especially as I've gotten older, you realize that life goes on. I've been so fortunate to play for such a great owner and for such a great coach. Nobody could have it better than me. I absolutely still do love the game. I think a lot of people who are great at what they do, great artists or actors or businessmen, they don't have to stop doing what they love. I know there's football still in here. And that's the end of my dispatch from Foxborough. So I go on after that to talk about the four mega players of this weekend. The four most important players who led their teams to victory. Deshaun Watson in Houston's 22-19 win over Buffalo. I thought he was hugely clutch down the stretch. It was just awesome. Tennessee 20, New England 13. Obviously, that was the Derrick Henry game. Now listen to this. Let me tell you something about Henry. So I thought that going into this season, going into this postseason probably, you know, that the most trusted truism in football is that Bill Belichick can take away the best thing any team does. And I point out that he did it with Marshall Falk in that Super Bowl 18 years ago. Did it several times with Marvin Harrison in big games against the Colts. Did it last year by um, totally holding down the Rams running game but he couldn't do it Saturday night. Now, compare this. Listen to this. The last two NFL generations had two mega backs. Two generations ago, 235-pound Earl Campbell, and one generation ago, 253-pound Jerome Bettis. They were the big backs who lasted and punished defense after defense. And I think this generation has the 247-pound Henry. Now, how about this? Henry at a 34-carry, 182-rushing-yard game to smother the Patriots. Bettis' best playoff game running the ball was 105 yards. Campbell's best playoff game was 118 yards. Henry, as I wrote, loved the element Saturday night, loved everything about it. We don't want anything easy, he said. We want it gritty. We want it dirty. And as I say, that was a great accomplishment to beat the great Belichick for a rising star running back who's only 26. Minnesota 26, New Orleans 20. I write about the redemption of Kirk Cousins. It's a good little chunk there. And Seattle 17, Philadelphia 9. It's the coming out party of D.K. Metcalf. You know, I spoke to him in the locker room after the game uh, by phone, and I get the distinct impression that right now it's DK D.K. Metcalf or bust for Russell Wilson. So I think one of the things you should watch at Green Bay this week is a little bit more of a healthy helping of DK Metcalf over uh, the current receivers on the Seahawks. So I write about the divisional matchups and say two six-at-one matchups of seeds Saturday. And neither of the games is a gimme for the one seed. I mean, look at Minnesota at San Francisco. Look how Minnesota played on the road. The big advantage that San Francisco has, in my opinion, is that – so Minnesota plays a Sunday playoff road game. They win a very emotional game. Now they go back to Minnesota. They have a short week of practice, and they've got to fly two time zones west, 1,600 miles, to play a Saturday road game against the top seed. That is a tough, tough job. Uh, winning will be a tough job for Minnesota. And then the other six at one, Tennessee at Baltimore Saturday night. <clears throat> and I write, I bet if you give John Harbaugh, the Baltimore coach, truth Sarah, truth he'd say he'd have rather faced the Patriots in the division round. And to me, they're borderline unstoppable forces in the eight-team field. Those unstoppable forces to me, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Derrick Henry. This is going to be a really, really interesting game to me. On Sunday, Houston at Kansas City. Now, the Chiefs are favored by eight and a half, and I think the Chiefs are going to win the game, but wow. After watching that game and after watching what, uh, uh, you know, Houston was able to do, with Deshaun Watson in the second half. That, to me, is a more intriguing game than I would have thought. And finally, the game I will be at. Seattle at Green Bay, Lambeau Field, Sunday evening. Um, And it's not supposed to snow as of now. It's supposed to be high 20s with no precipitation. Green Bay, obviously, is favored. But I write in my section here about maybe the most memorable game of Russell Wilson's 142 professional games and that is in his third season 2014 he played in the NFC championship game fell behind 16 nothing with three interceptions at halftime and just never was phased by it at all obviously Seattle ended up winning that game in overtime Uh, it's a fabulous fabulous example of How you can come back from a lot of really, really bad things. And Russell Wilson did just that on that night at CenturyLink Field. Um, I write a long section of my column about Sam Weich. I really, really hope you read it. The late coach, he died on Thursday of uh, melanoma. Uh, I'd strongly, strongly recommend. There's just some very interesting stories. Uh, that I experience with white, I think you'll kind of like it. And now, my adieu haiku. Here we go. Let me scroll down. Don Henley once sang The End of the Innocence. Sounds patriot-like. And that, folks, is my FMIA mini-pod for the week. Hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned. Come back on Wednesday this week for another podcast. It'll be a surprise podcast because I truly don't know what's going to be on it. But anyway, thanks a lot for listening today. Please go to Football Morning in America, my column. You can get it at profootballtalk.com or on the homepage of NBCSports.com. Really hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much for listening. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe.